today on Bob and Eric Live, we're going to the mailbag. Restaurants don't work anymore. Two huge problems with telling people that when evil things happen, that's part of God's plan. And I also want to get into the nature of pain. Pain can be a very healthy thing. We'll talk about all of that and more right here on Bob and Eric Live. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. I am your host, Dominic Enyart. My favorite email, I've been asking you guys to email me for the show. You can email me, dominicenyart at gmail.com. My favorite email was from Russ. And this guy, he cracks me up. Russ says, finally, some good news. Turns out there are no supply shortages. I know this because comrade Biden said so just yesterday. In what might have been even better news, last week, Biden also said he's fixing the supply shortages. And don't don't you just love to see that, right? Don't you love that Biden is fixing the supply shortages that don't exist? What a what an excellent use of his time. By the way, restaurants, restaurants don't they, they, they don't work anymore. And my brother pointed this out to me over the weekend. We we our, my church, we meet. Saturdays for breakfast before we we go out and do ministry and we've always met at this local IHOP but we've had to switch restaurants to another another breakfast place nearby because the IHOP consistently for like 3 weeks in a row didn't have enough employees to see us and and so we've had to switch restaurants and then over the weekend, my brother and I also went to a few other restaurants that couldn't take us because they didn't have enough workers. And my brother pointed out, you know, restaurants, they used to work like three years ago. Restaurants worked. You never went and they just didn't have something or they just didn't have employees yet. And then we elect Biden as president. And then what do you know? Restaurants don't work anymore. And, you know, I wouldn't be so harsh on Biden and place the blame on him, except for as he was implementing all of these terrible policies, all of us on the right were saying this is going to encourage people not to work. This is going to cause supply shortages. And he didn't listen. And then he just went ahead and did it anyways. And so me not being served at a Panda Express drive through the other day that was actually joe biden's fault which is ironic you know back when there was that thanks obama meme where every minor inconvenience you would just say oh well thanks obama and it was just kind of a joke well actually here in this case it's thanks biden and genuinely it is biden's fault um but anyways russ also he said something that actually made me pretty sad he tells a story of a friend of his and his friend's brother, who really sounds like he was an awesome guy. He tragically uh, passed away. Really sad story. He was thrown from the bed of a truck, and he goes to the hospital. The doctor checks him, and he checks him for head trauma, and he forgets to check for any internal injuries, and he sends him to the ICU where after five minutes of being in the ICU, he dies of those internal injuries that the doctor overlooked. It's really, really heartbreaking. And then at the funeral, there was a Calvinist pastor who was doing the service, and the pastor said to the family, 
that him dying was God's will. Now, needless to say, neither Russ's friend nor the friend's mother has been back to the church in 40 years. So this was this was a long time ago that, has, that it happened, and the family hasn't been back to church since the pastor said that. And I'm not going to give them a pass on that, because even if Christians say dumb and evil things, you still have an obligation, whether you are a believer or not, to get right with God. Um, so I'm not going to give them a pass on that, but I am going to criticize this pastor. When people are going through something traumatic, and I, I know that word is overused like crazy, right? Pink-haired feminists talking about how they were misgendered and and all that, obviously, it's not real trauma. But watching someone you love throw from the bed of a truck and then die in an ICU five minutes after being admitted, that's trauma. And someone who has trauma, and then you call yourself a pastor, and what do you tell them? You say, oh, hey, this was God's will. God wanted this to happen. God wants you to go through this. Two huge problems with that. No, Number one you're essentially giving them the best sales pitch in the world to hate God. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, we live in a simulation. None of this is real. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Well, when people are in pain, they do not say that because pain is real. And when you're in pain, you know it's real and the pain is undeniable. It's the most real thing that there is. And you try with all of your might to escape the pain. And you have these people who are saying, this hurts so bad, how do I stop the pain? And you tell them, God is the source of your pain. Okay, I'm, I'm going to slow down a bit here. These people who are trying to escape pain, they look around and they ask, where is this pain coming from so I can get away from this pain? And how do I escape this? And then you say, God, God is giving you this pain. They're, try, they're going to try and run as hard and as fast away from God in the other direction, away from God, because they think that's where the pain is coming from and because that's what you told them. And when you're in pain, that's your goal. Get away from the pain. You know, I haven't watched it yet, but William Lane Craig and James White just had a debate and maybe we'll break that down on the show sometime here soon. I haven't seen it yet, but a lot of people I respect really enjoyed it. We'll see. But I, I was watching just the introductions of the debate, and I never knew this about James White, but he was a chaplain in hospitals and in ICUs, and he'd go up to grieving families, and he'd do all that he could to comfort them and to share the gospel. Now, Mr. White, that is phenomenal. I am so grateful that you have spent your time doing this. That's actually one of the coolest things I can imagine doing, and to hear that you've done that. You know, I, I used to seriously dislike you, especially after some of the things you said about my dad and our theology, but, uh, you know, that, that stuff was minor. But after hearing about that, you know, I respect you a lot more after hearing that. I think that's really cool, especially my family just went through that and in an ICU with my dad and it's not pleasant. And, you know, if you've, if you have been in situations like that, helping people like me and my family, I've got major respect for that, you know, kudos to you. Now that said, it does worry me. 
I obviously wasn't there for that, and I can't speak as to what Mr. White said to them. But I'm worried that we might tell people in these situations, God is doing this to you. And, you know, that would drive people further away from God than pretty much anything else. And now that I'm thinking about it, that seems to be in the top, maybe the top three of most powerful tools to drive someone away from God. So that's a big problem. Problem number one, it drives people away from God. But that's actually not the biggest problem with that because it's true that there's a lot of things that drive people away from God. Say, for example, Leviticus 20.13, that drives people away from God. But we shouldn't shy away from that verse. No, the, the bigger problem here is problem no- number two. It's not biblical right? So if the Bible actually said, God is doing this to you, and you were to repeat that at a funeral, sure. I mean, I can understand repeating that. The Bible, if the Bible said it, I I could understand that. But the Bible never says that. The Bible actually says the exact opposite of that. The Bible says that God loves his children. And as we discussed on the show a while back, to love means to will the good of another. Now, God certainly takes bad situations and with his might, you know, he's a awesome, dynamic God who can turn things around for good. And he does often turn around bad things for good. The story of Joseph, uh, for example, being sold into slavery, that is a perfect example of that. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. But that doesn't mean that God wants evil to happen. And God certainly doesn't cause evil to happen that good may come of it, right? Paul teaches us it's wrong to do evil that good may come of it. Jesus actually, he talks about this this exact topic, and he's talking about a news story at the time. And he talks about a tower in Salome that fell and it killed 18 people. And Jesus asks, were any of these worse than anyone else? And he says, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or in other words, you know, there's no specific reason that this happened to them. That's just life. That's just part of how life works. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, God says that he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He's saying that good and bad things happen to everyone. He's not there trying to hurt people. Life is just brutal because we live in a fallen world. You know, Jesus is the great comforter. He's not the great inflictor. He's the great comforter. You know, my uh, my cousin actually has a pretty funny story, and I believe this was before he was saved. I'm not sure. When he was a kid, either uh, real, a young kid, either in middle school or in high school, Uh, There was this girl that he liked. He went to a public school and he liked this girl and he didn't know how to get her to like him back. And so he came up with this plan. He never followed through with the plan, thank goodness. Um, But he came up with this plan. He said he thought about hiring someone, maybe a friend, to come and attack him when he was hanging out with that girl and attack them with a knife. And he would jump up and be the hero and he would have his friend like 
no, I don't, I don't know, stab him or something while he's protecting this girl. And this girl would think like, oh, well, he's such a hero. And so I, I like him now. And hey, I mean, I, I guess all is fair in love and war. But I mean, like, come on, that's <laughs> that's a little bit insane. Anyways, Jesus, he, Jesus isn't like that. He's not insane. He doesn't send pain and suffering just to bring us out of the pain and suffering. That's crazy. Rather, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. So to the pastor who told these people, this is God's will. You should go back to that family and you should apologize to them. You should say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. God doesn't want this. He didn't want this. Let's go to church. Open theists, we've been warning people, Calvinists and Arminians a little bit too, but mainly Calvinists for a long time that your theology It really is important, and it really will have serious consequences like this, like this family not coming back to church in 40 years. And, you know, ideas have consequences. You know, there's all these liberals who just think, you know, oh, we'll just change the way language works and everything will be fine and dandy. But no, these ideas, they're serious and they have consequences and they affect the world. And so... To all the Calvinists out there who might be in the audience, you know, I, I know you love the Lord. I know you love God. I know you love your neighbor. And so I, I really want to encourage you seriously take the time and consider this issue because it is dreadfully important. And if you are wrong, you there, there is serious consequences. It's not just that you have bad theology. It's that Potentially, you could be taking people who would have otherwise come to the Lord and you are putting a stumbling block in their path. So at the very least, you have an obligation to think through this seriously and to consider this and to really put in the effort to have the best theology. So and yeah, I just I really encourage you get away from Calvinism. It is very destructive. All right. Now. Um, by the way, I mentioned that when you're in pain, that's the most real thing. And your primary goal is to get away from the pain. I've got a pretty good pro tip to help get away from the pain. It's our sin and the sin of others that causes us damage and hurts us. So if you want to get away from pain, flee from sin, run away from sin with all of your might, run away from sin and run from sin into the arms of your maker. You know, sin sin will trick you because sin can feel really good in the moment. It can, you know. There's a reason that people sin. But sin, it's just a numbing agent. It will numb you. You know, it'll numb you maybe for about 10 minutes while simultaneously tacking on an enormous amount of additional pain. It tricks you because you go and sin and you feel numbed for a little bit, which is nice. But the more you do it, the more sin will tack onto your back and the less it will numb your pain, right? It's the law of diminishing returns, which this causes a like like a snowball effect, by the way, because it will numb you for a shorter amount of time. So you'll want to sin more to become numb more, even though it numbs you less. And then you sin more and then it tacks on more pain. So the desire to feel numb from the pain is greater. And then the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. And then we find ourselves digging a hole instead of running to God who can actually take away the pain, not just numb it for a little while. 
And, you know, it, it is hard to take away the pain. You know, that's not something that just happens overnight when you go to God. So it might take a little bit of time, but give God the time and he'll do wonders for you. I guarantee it. So, you know, we commit a spiritual form of the sunken cost fallacy. It's also known as the gambler's fallacy. It's an interesting fallacy. You know, I've actually been trying to learn my fallacies. My family has been talking about them a lot recently. And before we started talking about it, I thought there were maybe, what, like 15 fallacies? There's like 100 of them. I hadn't realized that. Anyways, the sunken cost fallacy. We commit the sunken cost fallacy when we do this. It's real. It's interesting. It describes our tendency to to follow through with something through an endeavor if we have already invested our time or our money or our effort into it, regardless if the cost outweighs the benefits. It's saying like, hey, I already started this. I may as well keep going. And you say that without factoring anything else in. And we do that in our spiritual lives when we do this. Away from the spiritual, an example of this is that imagine you bought a concert ticket for $200. And then it's the morning of the concert and you feel sick and it's raining. And you know that traffic will be bad because of the rain and that you risk getting worse by going out to the concert in the rain. And although the drawbacks outweigh the benefits, you still choose to go to the concert, right? It's the sunken cost fallacy. We are likely to continue something if we have already invested in it, whether that's monetary or effort or or whatever it is that we put into that, you know, an object in motion stays in motion. That often means we go against the, the evidence that shows it's no longer the best decision. So in our spiritual lives, we say, well, sin numbs my pain, and I already started doing this to feel better, so I might as well keep going. And when in reality, we should just cut our losses, you know, you shouldn't go to the concert, you won't enjoy the concert, you should go home and get healthy. Likewise, we should cut our losses with sin's numbing agent, and and we shouldn't go to sin, and rather we should go to God and we should get healthy. By the way, today's show is sponsored by, oh, no way, this was my former boss, actually, Mr. Leon. I used to work for you, Mr. Leon, and I I, I guess, well, I I guess I I kind of still do now. You know, you listen to the show, I make the show for you, so you're you're still kind of my boss. I'll never escape, but uh, but no, Mr. Leon is a really cool guy, One one of the smartest people I know. He's really good on a chessboard, too. Mr. Leon, thank you. Maybe we'll uh, we'll have to play a game of chess here soon. Um, by the way, if you'd like to help out the show, you can do that. KGov.com slash sponsor or KGov.com slash store. Get something that you like that would really help us out. I was talking about pain there for a bit, and I, I'd like to continue talking about that. There's some uh, pain. Pain is a really interesting phenomenon. I'm going to say something that at first glance, it sounds wrong, but then you think about it and it looks, makes it a little bit more sense. And that is that pain, pain is healthy. So what do I mean by this? I'd like to talk about physical pain to illustrate my point and then move on to spiritual pain. And this is something I learned back in middle school. I heard a 
Uh, it was either a pastor or a pro- professor. I forget who exactly. And I've been looking for this since. I can't find it. Maybe one of you could email me if you know what I'm ta- talking about. DominicEnyart at gmail.com. And, and email me about the show if there's something you'd like me to talk about. And maybe I'll get to that. But this guy said, thank God for pain. And I, I heard that and I was like, what? No, that, that's that's stupid. But then he went on to explain and it blew my mind. Now, uh, I know a lot of Christians talk about how we should thank the Lord through our sufferings and even for our sufferings. And, you know, that uh, that has some biblical backing as well. James 1 says that trials of various kinds produce steadfastness, and we should have joy going through trials. Peter says we should rejoice as we share Christ's sufferings, and so that's really cool, and that, that idea is not without some biblical support, but that's not what I'm actually talking about. I'm, I'm here to say that pain is actually healthy for us. It's good for us. And so physical pain, physical pain, quite literally, it, it keeps us alive. And why is that? Why would I say that? Pain is quite literally, it's a warning system that our bodies use to keep us away from damage. So our pain, it, it protects us. There's this real popular book series. It's a fantasy book series. This homeschool kid wrote, dude lives in Montana, actually. And in the book, there's this king, he's an evil king and a, and a magician of sorts, and he casts a spell on some of his soldiers. And the spell made it so the soldiers didn't feel any pain. And, you know, the spell, it made them much stronger in battle because typically when you get slammed by a club in the face, the pain is so severe that you might pass out. But they weren't able to feel the pain, so they wouldn't pass out. They'd keep fighting. Or they'd take, you know, a, a, an arrow to the knee, if anyone knows the reference, and they'd keep fighting and walking on that leg, no problem. But in the long run, it would be super detrimental to them. Because since they couldn't feel pain, they wouldn't use their shields or they wouldn't try and block or whatever, and they would bleed out and die. And so removing their pain made them reckless. And so it would be a short-term advantage for a long-term disservice. Interesting series, by the way. It's called The Inheritance Series, one of my favorites. But the author was really smart with this concept because he recognized the value of pain. He recognized that pain actually saves us. If it weren't for pain, we would pretty much die on like pretty we'd pretty much kill ourselves every day of our lives you know in the morning when you get up to take a shower you make sure the water is warm and you know it gets the tiniest bit too hot or cold and it's uncomfortable and you turn the water up and down a little bit and then you fight with the faucet to get the perfect temperature or whatever you know but without pain we'd extremely easily just turn the water way too high and we would literally melt the skin off of our backs and die as we were in the shower. Our pain literally saves us on a day-to-day basis. It is fascinating. You know, our bodies, they're really cool. They're very well designed. You know, if you were to touch a hot stove, right, 
you you might have noticed if you've ever done this, you touch a hot stove and you you know you jerk your hand away and you pull it back real fast, and then and then just like a second later, then it starts to hurt your hand and it starts to you feel the burn, and interestingly enough, uh, that's because when you touch the stove, the pain receptor say in your finger, it sends a message not all the way to your brain, but actually to your spine. And your spine will send a message back to your hand saying, pull the hand away from the hot thing. And your your spine will do that before your brain even gets the message that there is pain. And that's why you might have noticed you touch something that's hot and your hand pulls away. And then just half a second later, then your brain recognizes, ooh, this hurts. And then you, you know, start shaking your hand, put it in some water or whatever. So our bodies are cool and they give us pain, which protects us. And what's cooler than that is that our bodies and our souls are interfaced with each other. And our souls can have pain as well. And since they are interfaced, when our souls are in pain, that can make our physical bodies hurt too. If you've ever heard of a, you know, a stress-induced illness, that's what that is. So there's that saying, mind over matter, right? That's not complete gibberish. There's, there's something to that. Our souls can hurt, and that protects us tremendously so as well. But so like how our bodies will hurt and that protects us, our souls can hurt as well and that protects us tremendously so, perhaps more so than our bodies hurting. You know, a few examples, say you have a loved one close to you and I can speak from experience here and they pass away, right? We need loved ones in our lives. They are essential and we need to put great effort into having people who are close to us in our lives because that's really, really good for us. And it's really bad for us, really bad to not have people like that, that we're close to in our lives. And so when someone you love, someone who you've put a lot of effort into, they die and they pass away, it will hurt us. And that pain, it teaches you Protect those who are close to you because you need them. Or say another example, and I luckily, happily, I do not have any experience with this one, but say there's a husband who cheats on his wife, God forbid, and the wife, she leaves the guy and the guy is crushed. It's actually good for him to feel crushed and to feel that significant pain. That's that's good for him. I mean, if we had a good government, they'd step in and punish the guy. But we do have a terrible government. So we're stuck with just talking about the emotional pain here. But that emotional pain is really good for him. It teaches him, says, hey, you dummy, you shouldn't have cheated on your wife. You should have loved her more. You should have done more for her. And then going forward, hopefully he learns something if he's not too thick-headed, and hopefully that pain, it, te- it will teach him something, right? And it will teach him something. You know, for the lady in that situation, she's obviously going to be in pain as well. And, you know, I'm not saying that pain is fair. Of course not. Pain is often caused by sin and by other people, which by definition, that's not fair. But even for her, she is in pain, and that pain teaches her. says, hey, 
this guy is bad for you. You need to get away from him. And, you know, say take a, a situation with domestic abuse in an abusive relationship, that spiritual pain could actually save her life. You know, this guy, he said he were to cheat on his wife and then he was going to kill her because because he was mad at her. She might leave him and not give him the opportunity to murder her, which and that would be an example of an emotional pain actually saving her from being murdered. So pain in both a physical form and a emotional form is sending you a message saying, hey, stop it. This is bad. We need to get away from whatever is causing this. Now, Calvinists don't say God causes pain. Sin causes pain. Tell people sin is doing this to them. Get away from the sin, right? And, you know, God can take away a lot of our pain. So if you're out there in the audience and you're going through some pain, you know, consider sitting down, reading your Bible and coming to know God, getting to know him, and he will take away your emotional pain. It's true. He can heal you and he can get rid of the pain and he can fix that underlying issue that's causing that pain. It'll take some time and some work, but it is worth it. I, you know, I cannot stress how important that is. Come to know your maker. Also, you know, if you know somebody and they've sinned and they're going through pain because of it, oftentimes the best thing you can do for them, if you really love them, is to sit there and to watch them go through the pain and to not help them get rid of it at all. Now, if if it's somebody who you really love and they're doing something that's hurting themselves, it can be one of the hardest things you've ever done to not try and take that pain away from them. But sometimes that's the best thing you can do. You can let their pain help them. Their pain can help them more than you can help them. You know, liberals want to get rid of pain for criminals, right? AOC just put out that it's just this godforsaken plan and that it, it makes me want to scream this plan. It's it's the most absurd thing. And she says that she wants to let all criminals go in 10 years from now, let them all go scot-free. And uh, it, it, I, I don't need to explain to you why that's the dumbest thing ever said by any human in history. But she says that and she's saying it as if it's a coming from a place of compassion. But it's not that that is coming from a place of hatred. Doing that would be such a terrible thing to do for those criminals, for the criminals. It would be bad for them and it would hurt those criminals to let them go free. It would not help them. It would hurt them. And so like in that story with the soldiers who don't feel pain, it might be better for them in the short term, but in the long term, it will kill them and it will kill others. And sometimes pain, it's its good to let people go through pain. Occasionally, if someone is repentant, depending on the situation, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead step in and help alleviate their pain if you can. But that's only sometimes, and that is when they have a repentant heart that is not when they are sinning that you try and step in and take away their pain. When they are sinning and you try and take away their pain, that is not love. 
And with this example with AOC, that is certainly not love. That is hatred, both to the criminals and to the victims of those criminals. We're out of time. Join us here tomorrow for Theology Thursday and on Friday for Real Science Radio with Fred Williams. And I believe he's having Perry Little on. I got a little sneak peek of that show, and that one is going to be a lot of fun. Really excited for that one. I hope to see you at Agape Kingdom Fellowship this Sunday, 4085 Independence Court. Join us there, 930 a.m. for Bible study. By the way, follow me on Twitter at Dominic Enyart. Send me thoughts on the show. Dominic Enyart at gmail.com. I will see you guys next week. And until then, this is Dominic Enyart reminding you to do right and risk the consequences.